Welcome back to the Ace and Swish podcast, where we discuss all things sports and debate. I'm Ace. And I'm Swish. And today, we're back with a very compelling episode. The last few weeks or so, we've been on vacation and unable to record. Sorry, guys, for that. But we have a lot to cover in this new fire episode, ranging from football in both the college and professional blends, U.S. Open reactions, updates on a potential Dame trade, and more. Let's start with that quick U.S. Open reactions. Man, Swish, I didn't think she could do it, but 19-year-old Coco got finally pieced the puzzle together and won her first Grand Slam. After being down a set to Arena Sabalenka and having her back against the wall, she pulled it together, figured it out, and found a way to win. Well, in previous matches, we would have thought Coco would definitely fold in those types of situations, but now she's demonstrating the maturity and a way of figuring things out, as well as a coaching team that works for her. And now because of that, she'll be able to win many Grand Slams in the future. Yep, she showed that she was ready to jump into the heavy hitters club of women's tennis. On the men's side, Djokovic stood unimpeded from getting his record 24th Grand Slam. But the Americans, Ben Shelton... Francis Diafro and Taylor Fritz were impressive, but Djokovic beat two of them, messing things up for this country. Yeah, it's a bit dismal that none of them were able to at least get to the final or win the whole thing, but the success shows the rapidly developing field of Americans' men's tennis. They got maybe five contenders for each slam at this point, with Diafro, Shelton, Fritz, Tommy Paul, and Christopher Eubanks all being threats to make huge runs in any given Grand Slam. It was a disappointing semifinal loss to Daniil Medvedev for the young Spaniard Carlos Alcaraz, though. We look forward to a Joker-Alcaraz matchup in the final, but that didn't materialize on Alcaraz's end, as he struggled with getting momentum back with Medvedev and keeping his emotions intact. And this is definitely a loss he has to learn from if he wants to become a legendary Chinese champion. Keeping your emotions in tow is a key skill on the big stage. Right. Let's move on to our reactions on the football side of things. We'll start with an early NFL Week 1 recap. The obvious thing that stands out is the Cowboys' Sunday night football destruction of the Giants, slaughtering them 40 to nothing. It was a difficult game to watch, even for me being objective to the game and not a Giants fan by any means. Daniel Jones was protected one bit against the Cowboys' lethal and versatile pass rush, and his receivers weren't helping matters either. It seemed like all momentum was really lost for New York after the Cowboys blocked that field goal early in the game and returned it for a touchdown. The Giants were rattled ever since then and never recovered. The main takeaway here? is the Cowboys may have the best defense in the NFL. They probably do, after what they showed us Sunday night. I still have my reservations about the offense and Dak Prescott. Main takeaway for me is that the Giants may have had a feel-good story last year, but they're nowhere near the level of the Cowboys and the Eagles. You might be right, Ace, but I'm intrigued to see how they respond over the next few weeks after such a loss. They have the Cardinals this week, which should be pretty easy since they might be the worst team in the league. I think they do have the 49ers in week three. Man, I feel depressed to talk about it. But the Bills lost to the Jets, even though Aaron Rodgers was 
was out of the game after only four snaps may be the most disappointing loss in my tenure as a Bills fan. Well, first of all, tough blow for Aaron Rodgers being out for the season with the torn Achilles. At this age, it's going to be hard for him to come back and be the elite quarterback he was. But we can never have doubts about what he can do. Now, in terms of the game, the Jets' D completely won. It for the offense and Zach Wilson, forcing four turnovers off of Josh Allen and giving the ball right back to the offense consistently. From what we saw, Zach, who will take the reins as starting quarterback while Rodgers is gone, he unfortunately did not look like the guy to lead the Jets to the playoffs and beyond. Can he? It, it's possible, but it's not likely with the Dolphins, Bills, and the Patriots in the same division. Man, I know the Jets played a great game. Congrats to for that. Josh Allen, if you listen to this, I'm disappointed. You should have followed the podcast. Because that performance was unacceptable. I'm hoping he can respond in our next game. But I'm not the only one who was let down by their team in week one. Swish. The Bears were blown out by the Packers on their home field. A disappointing loss for sure. The defense didn't look a lead against Jordan Love. And on the offensive side of things, where I was hoping for significant development right at the gate, couldn't capitalize on the early touchdown opportunities, setting us back early. And then Justin made some critical mistakes at critical times. Stuff I can tolerate, but we've got to focus on getting DJ more and more involved in the offense in the next game and hope that we're good enough to beat the Bucks because I do not want to play the Chiefs in week three. I think it's on national television, knowing that we're owing to. There's really no hope for y'all, Swish. The Lions and the Packers are clearly better than you and in the same division. And I have to say, that's off to the Packers. Jordan Love showed me something on Sunday. But I know deep down, this roster is very capable of beating them. Not so sure about that, Swish. Anyway, let's discuss what we saw from the Jaguars and Chiefs, who will collide against each other. The Jaguars look shaky at times against the Colts, but were able to get it together when they needed to. It was a very disappointing loss for the Chiefs. I feel like they could have won that game against Detroit if Kadarius Toney was able to catch the football. The Lions got away lucky with that game, but I also have to commend them for being a rock-solid, pretty good football team. But the Chiefs, I think, will respond on Sunday and take out all their anger from the sting of the Thursday night football loss and beat the Jaguars. The Jetson Cowboys also collide in another high-profile game on Sunday. Who you got for that matchup? You know, I'm rooting for the Jets to pull from an upset and foresee this being a very low-scoring game if the Jets are going to win it. The Cowboys' D is probably going to stop the Jets' offense, and the Jets' D is probably going to stop Dallas' offense. But then, in the fourth quarter, Zach Wilson shows he's decent and leads the Jets to a, wait for it, game-winning field goal, and the Cowboys do not have enough time to respond. Maybe. It's not realistic, and the Cowboys are either going to blow the Jets out of the water, or it's going to be close and a surprise game to most of America. But I'm rooting for it to happen. I've got the Cowboys, man. After what they did to the other team that plays in MetLife Stadium, I envision them doing the same thing to the Jets. All right, let's move on to some college football reactions. Before we inevitably be discussed, 
the massive success Deion Sanders has had with his program and the interest surrounding Colorado's football program, let's begin by conversing about how college football's usual heavy hitters have fared. Well, to me, my general thoughts uh, about the first two weeks of college football, and this is before all the games on Saturday are played, so don't hold me to that. Georgia still looked like Georgia, and Michigan has looked okay, even without Jim Harbaugh. We can say that. Florida State really impressed in an opening LSU game, showing how mature a team they are, and maybe proving they're ready to take it all the way. Ohio State still has things to figure out with the quarterback, but Marvin Harrison Jr. is a beast. But Texas now has a statement win against Alabama, good for the college football playoff resume, showing how good of a team they are. They have a good offensive team with quarterback Quinn Ewers and play caller Steve Sarkeesian and were able to frustrate Alabama's offense. And on the Crimson Tide side of things, they showed in a Texas game that right now they aren't necessarily a top contender in college football. They still have some things to figure out. A quarterback, Jalen Milrow, threw two interceptions against Texas and won't start against USF in favor of Tyler Buckner. Personally, if I was Dick Saban, I would have stuck with Milrow because I truly believe he has a high ceiling as a dual-threat quarterback. But we'll see what the former Notre Dame quarterback, Buckner, is made of. That's basically a summary of my thoughts on the first two weeks of college football this season. Oh, and not to mention, Deion Sanders has brought a culture to Colorado. They are really good, and I'm excited to see them more against Colorado State and 13th ranked Oregon. Yeah, the schedule doesn't look very loaded this week in terms of really interesting top 25 matchups. But next week, we're going to have some fun with my Fighting Irish going to play the Buckeyes, Colorado, and Oregon facing off in a Pac-12 clash. Alabama facing Ole Miss, and plenty more. We'll see how, how that all shakes out. Now, we must end this podcast by discussing a very slow, very tricky situation in a Damian Lillard tree. While things have mostly been at a stalemate throughout the entire offseason, I feel like around training camp, a deal around Lillard will take shape. The Blazers will have to realize the longer they keep Dame, the more they stunt the development for their young guys and the less time they're going to have to mesh with the players they acquire in the Lillard trade, which forces them to get into talk with the Heat. I don't believe there is any other major suitor who would take a chance on Dame because Dame has only indicated he will report to Portland or Miami's camp. So I think eventually a deal's going to take place during training camp in October, right before season starts. We'll see if giving up this immense haul actually will bear fruit for you guys, though. Because you know, we'll be on right back, along with the 76ers, Bucks, the list goes on. Heat culture always wins out, though. Cap. If they are adamant about giving up only two first-round picks and not including the rookie dick, it's going to become interesting. Who do the Blazers value more? An expiring contract in Ananobi with injury history, or a guy with four more years left on his contract in Hero, who may not be the best fit with the Blazers' current roster with all their guards. And then, do you value 13th pick Grady Dick or Jaime Hawkins and Nicole Yovich more? Joe Cronin might be petty and deal low to Toronto, but 
I'm intrigued to see how Dame will potentially react to playing there. I feel like Nam's going to Toronto and that at the end of the day, they're going to take a risk and gamble for Dame, just like they gamble for Kawhi Leonard. Forget Miami in this race. They took too long to get him. 